Well, welcome back for another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, where we will talk about how the wired, tired, and technology are converging. Really excited today to have as my guest, John Dame. Uh, he's been a good friend and colleague for well over a decade, and uh, I'll have John explain a little bit of what he does. Um, but today's purpose is literally to talk about purpose of how uh, companies' values and missions and culture and how that how purpose is now so critical in not only branding but in recruiting talent and in the organization as a whole. So good morning, John. Morning. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, then we can jump into our topic. Well, quick quick note of background. For most of my career, I was in the broadcasting business, owned and operated radio stations in the east eastern half of the United States, and sold those, and then went and started a national network syndicating talk shows, sold that, and for the past 15 years have been working primarily with CEOs, and what I do is a couple of things. I serve as an executive coach for CEOs and senior leaders. I uh, uh, facilitate executive peer groups through Vistage International, which is the largest CEO membership organization in the world. I uh, help develop executive teams through leadership programs that I have, and I uh, promote and produce some large leadership events talking about the evolution of leadership and where I see it going. So that's kind of what I do. And in your spare time, you do what? In my spare time. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a little busy. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's an impressive schedule. So you and I have talked about this quite a bit, and I think that's why we have a friendship and, and uh, we're, we're colleagues uh, as good as we are. Uh, you know, we've talked about, and I know you've, you've shared your views on this for such a long time about how important it is to have a clear vision, and I think that has somewhat transformed into beyond just having the vision but needing a purpose, and I guess purpose is the motivation behind the vision. Uh, but the confusion is, and you know, you know, part of part of this conversation started up as I'm writing my book and, and about VUCA, the world we live in, and how right. volatile, uncertain, and complex and ambiguous it is. Um, and one of the solutions, or I don't know if it's a solution, but one of the strategies that I suggest with that is that companies really need to articulate where they're going, what their vision is. And as a next and as part of that conversation, we've identified purpose. And I know you have a newsletter too that focuses on that. But the biggest objection I I read and I get from clients when I talk about that is that they say, well the purpose of my business, I'm a small business owner, or the purpose or even if there's a public company, our purpose of our business is to make money. So how do you, I, I guess if you'll comment on that and then and, and how do you, not, I don't know if it's justify that or rationalize that it's got to be more than money these days. Well, you know, most businesses, I mean, having purpose doesn't mean you don't make money. Uh, every great enterprise, whether it's uh, for profit, whether it's a large or small business, has to make money. People have to make uh, a reasonable living. Otherwise, why do it? Uh, 
but the difference is that I'm not sure that anybody other than maybe you want to come to work for your company to help you make money as the primary and only reason that's there. Certainly people want to work at a, uh, a company that's successfully run. They want to have you know, a great culture. They want to enjoy all the trappings of you know, financial success. But uh, just making money is, is probably a disconnect from the greater purpose of the organization. You know, uh, uh, there are a bunch of big examples you can point to today, but, I mean, in history, we can look at a company like Enron who, who had, you know, you walked into their lobby and they had great values up on the wall, you know, integrity, honesty, and yet the only thing that they wanted to do was to make money and as a result, they disconnected from all of their values and kind of their greater purpose and ended up just trying to make a buck at any cost. And that did not bode well for them, their shareholders. And, you know, many of the kind of executives there had a, a very terrible ending. You know, some committed suicide, others, you know, went to jail. I mean, it was a bad circumstance. So, I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think that certainly – Making money is the outcome of having a great organization that has a better focus and clarity and vision for what the future looks like for the organization. And and financial success has to be one of those components. It can't be the only component. If you just come to work to make money, it's okay, and you can be successful. I'm I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying that today, as you look at what people are looking for, people want to make a real difference. They want to work for a company where they can make a difference in their work. And therefore, I think thinking about what that greater purpose is of the organization is a good place to be. So has that changed? Uh, you and I both you know, talk a lot about the millennials and um, you know, how much of an impact they had. But you know, certainly we're both baby boomers. And, you know, and, and our parents were, you know, from the earlier generations where, you know, work, I guess work was their life. I mean, that was their purpose. So with that, they went to work, um, they worked for a company, and there wasn't much talk of, about what the purpose of the company was um, other than, um, you know, you did a good job because that was just in your, your DNA. That that seems to change. I mean, has that changed through the generations? Why is purpose more important, seem to be more important today than it was? Well, you know, I think if you look historically, up until the 1960s or so, when there were downturns in business, uh, the executives in charge, the companies themselves, did not fire a bunch of people to, to make the company stay successful and move forward. So since, the let's say, the early 60s, there's been a distinct change in the way that executives have been, been, uh, have been compensated, the way that companies view employees. And uh, I think what it's done is it's created an atmosphere that the millennials are just kind of the outcome of it today with cultural changes, but uh, if there isn't a lot of loyalty perceived, 
on the part of the organization for the employees. The employees don't have much loyalty going back, and so you have this kind of transition. And just talked to a, a CEO this morning who had a millennial employee that they had spent an incredible amount of time, money. They hired this person in a highly technical field directly out of uh, college, and the person went through a year of training that they invested in the person, and they just left without notice today. And the the, the manager uh, of that person felt that they had been, you know, kind of violated, that, that they had been dissed. And, you know, I think that, you know, part of that culture that we live in is that people look a little bit differently at their jobs than maybe I did growing up. There are very few people, my grandfather, your father or grandfather, all thought that they would be working at the same place for their entire career. That's unlikely today. You know, the average person, and you know the numbers better than I do, Ira, the average individual now in their late 20s has had, what, six or seven jobs at this point in time? And yeah, yeah. Well, according to some of the research, you can double that. <laughs> yeah, so lots yeah. of jobs, uh, moves around a good bit. And, and so to attract great talent, and I don't find it's just millennials. I think it's everybody. Uh, you know, I tell the story this way, that uh, there was a, a valve company, the CEO is getting up on the stage during the meeting to talk about the new product line for 2017. And they're showing these valves up there, which are not very sexy, right? And and uh, he walks onto the stage, the lights dim, and he says, you know, this morning at 6 a.m., janitor walked into the basement in a school in Vermont and turned 10 of our valves to make the rooms safe and warm so the kids could go to school and be educated safely. At 9.30 this morning, they turned 120 of our valves in an operating room in Minneapolis, and we saved three lives today. And you think we just sell valves. And I think that when you look at and extend that concept to those types of things, many businesses can look at what they do in a, at a little bit different level and allow people to feel like they're making a difference with the work that they do instead of just doing work. Work can be boring. You know, people want to do something that has a little bit more meaning. And so thinking about how to interpret that work for people so that they feel like at the end of the day they've done a little bit to, to help improve things in the world. And, you know, an, another concept that is so different today when you look at new companies is that with younger people in particular is that, you know, you and I grew up in an environment where, we work all our lives, we save up money, we retire, and then we give back. Uh, I ran into two young people, entrepreneurs, about two weeks ago, that have started a popcorn company selling you know, uh, various uh, types of popcorn to companies for gifts, uh, novelty items, that kind of thing. And what they told me that was so important to them and part of what they're doing is that they were giving a percent of their income to some sort of charitable cause right from the start. And, you know, they probably did in total $75,000 of income in the first year and gave $10,000 of it away. Yeah, I mean, that's a powerful message, and I think you're, you're absolutely right uh, where, you know, we, we've both been active in the community, you know, despite having the jobs, but it was that we – is we got busy in our businesses and we 
also carved out some time to contribute back, where now is it's almost from the, the starting line. It's not that I have to start my business or, you know, I'll do that when I have time or, as you said, when I retire. Uh, it's part of, um, you know, whether it's young people or, or not, um, everyone, a lot of people's, not everyone's obviously, but a lot of people's DNA uh, from the very beginning um, to be able to contribute back. Uh, you know, people have done it for years to their churches and, and synagogues and, and, and so forth, uh, you know, as part of that. And I think now it's extended beyond that to the community. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is that we have this instant, you know, to your point about VUCA, we have this instant communication where I can talk to somebody in China or see what's going on there or look at a, a hurricane that hit an island in the Caribbean or look at uh, Syria that's war-torn or whatever it is and say, you know, this is a cause that I can get behind and uh, believe that it's something that's there. It's why, you know, there's a growing list of B corporations out there that are, you know, co companies that are looking to qualify as a B Corp, which is a unique designation in the world today and a pretty powerful magnet to, to attract potential employees, especially those that have this kind of philosophy that want to make a difference. Yeah, and I think regardless of wherever you you know, whatever party stance that you are, I don't want to bring in politics into this, but, you know, whatever your affiliation, whatever your beliefs are, and maybe I'm rationalizing and maybe I'm over, you know, just trying to, to find some positives um, with, with everything going on. But it, the, uh, what's the name, uh, techno-philanthropy, because so much is being done in technology. But mm -hmm. the combination of, as you just gave an example of, you know, young entrepreneurs, um, you know, right from the get-go, giving back. And, you know, yesterday, I guess it was announced that Gates and uh, Buffett and um, I can't remember who some, uh, some of the other players were, but, you know, some of the, the billionaires, I mean, I guess their total, uh, their total um, annual incomes or, or worths are $171 billion are, con you know, started a venture capital fund for energy. And we seem to have that, you know, whether it's education or healthcare or poverty or literacy, that it may be the entrepreneurs, you know, whether they're billionaires or making $75,000, as you said, are, will be the people that take over a lot of societal's, uh, the society's needs. You know, that's, to me, that's promising. And, you know, I guess it's literally going back to the people. Well, I don't think there's any question that, it doesn't even matter which political party that you affiliate with. I think people are generally frustrated about actions that have been taken or not. And so I think that, you know, public-private kind of collaborative efforts make sense. You know, you look at New York City and you see that, you know, the public-private collaboration for all of the bike, uh, those bike rental places that are in New mm -hmm. York City now where you can grab a bike. You see them all over the world. Yeah, we were just there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all over the place. They're all over, and they weren't there four years ago, and that's a public-private collaboration trying to cut down on the traffic and get people to be able to go from point A to point B a little more easily than even public transportation. And I do think there are going to be a lot of those kind of things that 
will come forward because, you know, uh, and, and once again, you know these numbers better than I do, but if you look at who's going to be the leaders soon enough, okay, it is not going to be me, and it's <laughs> not going to be you. It's going to be younger people who have new, different, fresh ideas, who've grown up in an environment that was completely different from anything that I grew up in, in terms of uh, uh, technology and kind of the speed of, of change of things. And my belief is that to be a leader in the world, you know, today and into the future, you're going to have to view people differently. In other words, that uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but uh, you cannot treat people as if they're expendable expenses and expect them to enjoy and love their love their jobs. You know, you have to have people where you treat them with respect and and uh, uh, you have honest and straightforward feedback with them. You show them how to get better at what they do. Uh, you you take this concept of purpose and inject it in some manner into your organization. And I don't think it can be a faked out. You know, it's not like just saying, hey, we give 10% of everything we do to charities. I don't, I don't think that's what I'm talking about. I think no, it's, no. Uh, it's kind of a lifestyle as an organization. It's part of your DNA, the fabric of what you do that makes the difference. You know, purpose is, is real for somebody, and you kind of live it in every aspect of what you do, and it becomes apparent to others as you do that that it's, it's hugely different. And so how you connect with people, how you deal with them, how you treat them, how you engage them, uh, you know, we've had 40, 50 years of engagement levels, not just in the United States but across the world, stuck at some incredibly low, low level, you know, yeah, right. oh, absolutely. something like that. And, and, you know, part of it is that we, we, we kind of think that even today, you know, where you look at organizations like Google, you get mystified by ping-pong tables and free food thinking that that's the magic and that's not it. It's more than that. That's just a little piece of it. Uh, and the magic comes from the entire kind of, DNA, the culture of the organization, in, in looking at what that organization is trying to do in changing the way that the world thinks, you know, big deal. Yeah, well, I, I think Gallup, you know, sums it up, uh, you know, because they talk about the interrelationship um, and, and how you can't extricate one of these from the other. But, uh, you know, they talk about how purpose and brand and culture uh, today are are all one, um, and you know, they're, they're not separate entities. And uh, I think that's what you just described. And you know, certainly, you know, working in a, a in a culture like Apple or Google or Facebook, you know, which are are certainly in news and, and prime examples of that. I mean, people are just passionate about uh, you know being part of them, you know, both their customers and and their employees. So yeah. so here's. You know, you and I work with a lot of small, medium-sized businesses, most, mostly right. privately owned. Um, a lot of them, you know, while they may have a purpose and they have good values and they're, you know, certainly, you know, have a lot of integrity, they have a tough time, at least the ones I'm working with, seem to have a tough time articulating the purpose. How do you translate that? Um, 
I mean, working with companies, how do you, what's kind of a first step that someone should do to, to uh, again, it's not necessarily pick a purpose off the shelf, because that doesn't work, um, but how do they articulate what their values are? To, and, and share that with others. Just you gave a great example with this morning with the with, with the valves. But you know, how do you how do other companies? How, how we, what have you found to be successful with getting other people to do that? Yeah. Well, in, in terms of looking at first of all to kind of define values for an organization, you know, I think that each organization should probably only have a couple of really core values. These are the the things that differentiate your organization from any other organization. I'm not super keen on having honesty and integrity. I mean, I've never heard anybody at any company, large or small, say, I want to hire disingenuous, dishonest people to come to work, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. so, you know, I think those are, you, you know, as Patrick Lencioni might say, permission to play values, you know. On the other hand, I do think there are some examples of it, and one of the ways that I ask people to determine what those values would be would be to look at people in their organization that they believe exhibit the highest character of the organization and kind of list those attributes that would be part of that individual. So they can look at, they can look at a person or two, uh, the other side of that is true, too. I mean, if I were to ask anybody at any organization I've ever worked with, you have somebody who's not exactly the right fit, they would say, yeah, we sure do. And, you know, what are those characteristics that make them not a good fit? And then you can narrow the values if you want to make the values from there. And I think they should be couched in in kind of terms that reflect your organization uh, I worked with a construction company that did dangerous work, and one of the values that they came up with was, you know, no prima donnas or assholes allowed. In other words, it was language that they understood, that worked for those people that they had out in the field risking their lives doing the work, and uh, made a difference for them. They could They could communicate that even though it's not great English. You know, it's certainly work for them. So I think people don't, I don't think you have to have an MBA to be able to do this. I think if you can work in language that's your own. The second thing that I would start thinking about is if you want to look at the vision for the company and kind of think of purpose around that vision is to paint word pictures, whether you take photographs from magazines or whether you take uh, just words that you define and put them into some order, uh, I think people can come up with this vi more vivid vision of what their organization needs to look like at some future point in time, and that should include, you know, how we treat people and, the, and how we interact with each other and, you know, what, what's the, you know, there should be a financial outcome as part of that too. One of those components could be an outcome that's financial, but it, it can't be the only thing. And I think the more vivid that photograph could become, uh, you know, we could paint a picture that we could show to a, a potential employee or a colleague, and they say, I get that. You know, that's something that, that 
kind of defines, uh, I'm defined by that. It, may, it feels good for me. I want to work at a company that's like that. So the vivid vision is more aspirational, you know, looking at what a future place might be like. And then, you know, kind of also thinking about what it is that, wh- where, your, where your product is used, who uses it, how that fits into the greater good of what's going on. And it's a little hard to do because most people don't think that way. I mean, you know, I've talked to some high-tech companies and they say, well, we have, you know, we make software and, you know, it improves workflow. But, you know, what does that do? <laughs> Other than improve right, workflow, yeah, right. you know, how, how, do we, how do we relate that? And I do think that, you know, if you, if you think of it like this, that there are constituents that you want to appeal to that are part of kind of the perp- the mission that you're there for. So uh, an example would be if we pick a high-level example, Starbucks. Howard Schultz talked about, you know, looking at how to make a difference with his company, and certainly good good coffee is okay, and, you know, going to all these free trade places. But what, what he's really said in the organization is the most important people – at Starbucks are not him and his executive team and the research people and the purchasing agents that go buy the fair trade coffee. It's the baristas. And so what Starbucks did was they said, look, we're going we're gonna to make this a great place to work, unique and different. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be the first company in the United States that gives part-time people vacation. We're going to be the first place in the United States that gives part-time people a chance to earn a college education on us. And he said, if, if I can make those baristas love their work, if they love what they do, if they show up every day and find it unique and can be uh, their own people, then that relationship with the customer is going to be terrific, and that's what the magic is at Starbucks, is that barista relating to the customer, and coffee's okay, too. You know, so that's kind of the way I look at things. So you have to kind of think of who the constituents are also uh, because some people like GE say, hey, I want to be number one, number two in every company that I'm in and I are, we want to make money for our stakeholders, our shareholders, and that's it. That's what they think. But they also have this big, huge commitment to developing leaders and what GE has done with Grottenville is have the largest hall of CEOs of other companies that have gone through GE in the world. They have more leaders that have come out of that company that are running other companies. And so they've said, look, leadership is what our company is going to be based on. So we're going to focus on developing great leaders because they'll help us have the outcome, which would be financially returning a great return on investment to our shareholders. So each company is a little different. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, it it you know, I got one of these aha moments, so which is why I love talking to you. Um, it, you know, you're familiar with the business values and motivators tool that we use, the yeah. assessment, and you know, written a book on it years ago. As as you're saying that, it's like okay, and it, the the whether you agree with this or not, I mean, the, the purpose of GE was to be number one or number two in everything that they do where so the the people who would align with that the people who would find a uh, uh, align with that vision and purpose uh, would be individuals who both have a high 
economic value. They, they value mm -hmm. a return on investment, but they also have a high power and authority. They, they have this high aspiration. Right. They want to be in control of their own destiny. They want to be number one, where that probably doesn't work for people who might be motivated more by community, the, uh, the social value, or even um, continuous learning, you know, uh, you know, which is um, the, the conceptual value and, and some other things. So, you know, that may, you know, helping people understand what drives them, what they value, um, you know, what's going to motivate them, and then, you know, hiring people that fit that. Um, and, and also, you know, looking for a consumer market that, that values that as well. I mean, there are people that don't like Starbucks culture. Some don't like their coffee, but some don't like their culture either. And right. what's behind them, and so they don't, you know, they, they don't go there, but apparently a lot of people do. Yes, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, you know, Howard Schultz announced last week that he's mm -hmm. uh, stepping down as CEO, and he's, his goal is to develop these new coffee parlors or whatever he calls it, right. where they sell, you know, like a $10 cup of coffee. I'm thinking, yeah. holy cow. But, you know, I'm sure there are people that are so crazy about coffee that want some blend that they can't find anywhere else and would be willing to pay that. Uh, and I don't think you need all the people in the world to buy into that just enough. You It'll know? be like a 45-year-old whiskey. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there are people that spend thing. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> same type thing. So you have all these unique, and, and I do think you're correct that people are drawn to those elements of culture and purpose that impact them. You know, you look at Zappos and you say, well, look at what he's doing. You know, he's got this kind of no leadership culture, lost a lot of people in that, bought downtown L.A. and is still working on doing what he's doing. And, uh, you know, it's a very unique experiment that seems to be working just fine. And people who work there, you know, not only give great customer service and help people, but enjoy the culture uh, that happens at Zappos. You know, they want to work there. They, they have decided that that's the place where they'd like to hang their hat. And, you know, when you get that reputation, it's a lot easier to, to draw people to come to work to your company versus just saying, gee, I hope I get the right pay and I hope I get good benefits, you know, because certainly that's important to everybody. But I'm guessing more and more people say, and I want to be at a place that there's a great fit and I feel good about getting up and going to work every day. You know, if you look at uh, Simon Sinek has written this book, you know, Better Together Now. It's a, I don't know if you've seen it, Ira, but it's a, children's book narrative oh, yes, for adults. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, he has he's talking every day about people where they want to get up and they want to go to work and they want to feel like they're making a difference and that they are working with people that are like-minded, that, that kind of invigorate them they gain energy from going to work they don't feel like at the end of the day they're they're drained out and you know i want to work with leaders you know what i want to do is kind of help people who when they have their people come in in the morning they feel a little bit better at the end of the day than when they did in the morning and that's a different kind of leader that command and control that i grew up with that you grew up with 
is not working any longer, and so people have to look at it differently and evolve. That's why I called the leadership conferences that I do evolution, because the evolution of leadership is to something different. You know, it's a different way of of working with people, helping them kind of understand how to break through all those constraints that they have, talking about it, not just uh, kind of saying, look, I pay you to do this. It's your job. Go out and do it, you know. Tough it out, buddy. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you just you just mentioned something, and um, which prompted a thought. You know, in my in my TED talk, when I talked about vision being one of the solutions to, you know, the crazy world we're living in, how you make change work. Um, you know, I, I I mentioned that you didn't have to have this grandiose plan. I mean, and I think that's where people get stuck also with purpose. Right. It's like, well, you know, we just make vows. I mean, how does that you know, that's not exciting. How does that fit into the world? We're not going to solve education. You know, we're not going to improve education, solve literacy, reduce poverty, um, you know, get more clean water. I mean, how do, how do we do this? Um, you know, a purpose or a vision could be as simple as what you just said. You know, I, I go to work every day because I, I, I believe in what I do. I feel I'm part of a community and I'm able to take care of my family. Yeah. Or I can give back to the community. I mean, it, it could be a very personal purpose. So, you know, even e- even if the purpose of a small business is to help its employees become better citizens and right. uh, take care of their kids and help educate their kids, that's a purpose. So I think everybody gets hung up that purpose has to be transforming the world, and, and it doesn't. Yeah, I have the... Uh, uh looked at some things where the concept comes back like this, that people make too big a deal out of getting to the perfect purpose and they want to really connect, you know, have this meaningful way. You know, we all look at Steve Jobs saying, hey, I want to put a ding in the universe, you know, and not everybody can do that. And, you know, my my comment is, look, just find something that is meaningful to you and you may find out you love it, give it a chance, work at it a little bit, and it may be just the difference that you need to, to get, feel good about what you do every day, because that's what you want people to, you know, you want people to feel invigorated by their work, you know, by their commitment to what they do every day for eight or ten hours. And, you know, even even millennials, as you know, they're not slouches. They work their butts oh, off. Yeah. They don't maybe just sit at the desk every day. But, you know, eight, ten hours is not uncommon. And, uh, you know, my, my thought is if I'm going to do that, I sure as heck like, want to like what I do and I want to feel like I'm invigorated and, and uplifted by the work that I do in some manner, whether it's having friends at work, whether it's being validated for doing a good job, you know, all those kind of things which are not done as well as we could in business today. And John, I was, I, we're just about out of time, and I was going to say, what, what else, how do you want to wrap this up? But I'm not sure you, if, if you just, you might have just done that. Um, but, I, but I will ask, um, you know, is there anything that you feel that, you know, in talking about purpose that we didn't um, mention? Or, you know, would, how, how would you wrap this up? What's your message? You know, I would say that, once again, that I think of purpose as kind of more like instead of a 
a 12-point plan for an organization. It's a state of being for a company. It's kind of who you are and how you are and why you exist. You know, those are harder things to answer than, you know, just here's the strategic initiative that we're going we're gonna to hire 10 new salespeople or whatever it might happen to be. And I do think that uh, just spending a little time thinking about it in smaller businesses, in uh, uh, mid-market companies, even in larger organizations, it is hard to take the time to sit down and kind of think strategically about your organization, you know, where you want it to be in a few years, what you'd like it to be. And it's much easier to get caught up in the day-to-day kind of operational messiness that goes on in business. And, and so my position would be that allow yourself as a leader a little more white space to think about your business and to elevate yourself to a higher level because when you do, good things happen. It's been my experience. And you can begin to think about the business a little differently than rather than responding to today's trauma or today's drama. And I think that's what I would, would encourage people to do is to just start by thinking, then things will change. You know, good things will happen if that's the case. So that's kind of what I would leave everybody with today. Take, take a little time and think. John, thank I mean, incredibly invaluable. I always, I always learn from, from our conversations, and uh, you, got, you have me thinking about a lot of things to think about as I put the book together. Um, how, will, how can somebody get a hold of you if they want to uh, reach you? What's the best way? Uh, website, uh, johndame.com. Email address, uh, jd at johndame.com. Easy to, easy to remember. Okay, and it's D-A-M-E. D-A-M-E, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate uh, you being part of this, um, and uh, hope we're, you know, hopefully you'll come back and we'll have some other discussions in the future. I want to thank again uh, John Dame for being a guest on Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. Uh, this is Ira Wolf, uh, the host of the show, and I look forward to having you return at another time, another date. Uh, we'll be talking a lot more about the future of work and purpose and vision and understanding and community uh, in the very near future. In the meantime, have a great day, everyone.